In Black and White is brought to you by subscribers of The Herald Sun. Our subscribers get access to the full Herald Sun website, including companion articles and photographs to this podcast. If you like this podcast and want to support it, click on heraldsun.com.au forward slash IBAW to go to the new In Black and White page and click on any article to begin. When he defected, when he disappeared, the Soviets grabbed her and grabbed his dog Jack and kept them under house arrest at the uh, Soviet embassy in Canberra. Meanwhile, Vladimir was in protective custody with ASIO and beginning to spill the secrets of the Russian Empire. The only problem was he didn't bother to tell his wife. She thinks her husband's dead and she's going back to God knows what in Moscow. So she's absolutely terrified. Their location was kept largely secret from the general public and they were expected to just live this quiet little life in Melbourne suburbia after all of the uh, all of the political intrigue and upheaval. I'm Jen Kelly and this is In Black and White, a podcast about some of Victoria's forgotten characters. In this episode, we tell the extraordinary story of the Soviet spies who set up home in a quiet Melbourne suburb during the Cold War. The Petrov affair made worldwide headlines in 1954 when Vladimir Petrov and his wife Evdokia defected from the Soviet Union and spilled their secrets to ASIO, the CIA and MI5. The incident became a sensation when photos were beamed around the world of a dramatic airport showdown as Australian authorities stopped Soviet agents flying Evdokia back to the Soviet Union. Not long afterwards, residents in the Melbourne suburb of Bentley East were stunned to learn their newest neighbours were the world-famous Soviet spies. Melbourne journalist and history buff Jamie Duncan recently returned to the street and met the notorious couple's long-time neighbours who opened up about what it was like living next door to the Petrovs. Jamie joins us on the podcast today to share the remarkable story. Welcome back to the podcast, Jamie. Thanks very much for having me. Can you start by taking us back to 1950s Australia to set the scene? Tell us about the atmosphere at the time, the Cold War, the fears of communism. Well, we were all terrified of communists in the uh, in the early 1950s. World War II had ended. The communists had taken over in Eastern Europe. We were at war in Korea uh, against um, communist China and the, and the North Koreans, obviously. The superpowers were testing atomic weapons at that stage and things were looking fairly grim in a geopolitical sense. And what were the Soviets up to in Australia at the time? They were actively spying. Vladimir Petrov and his uh, his wife Evdokia came to Australia in the early 1950s. They had been posted as Soviet agents, agents of the MGB, which was the forerunner to the KGB, uh, which came to being in 1954. They had um, worked as operatives under diplomatic cover in Sweden. They came back to Moscow for a while and were then posted to Australia in the early 1950s. At that stage, the Soviets were intent on building a spy network in Australia and keeping an eye on what Australia was doing, particularly in relation to the United States and, I dare say, in relation to atomic testing that Britain was planning in the 1950s also. And they were based at the embassy in Canberra, were they? They were. They were based at the Soviet embassy in Canberra. And what was their official role? What were they supposed to be doing? Well, officially, Vladimir Petrov was a consul and he was the third secretary of the embassy, which is a fairly junior diplomatic post. And Evdokia was posted officially as a clerk, but both of them had, uh, had very different roles. So how did the Petrov affair come about and how did ASIO convince him to defect? 
Vladimir Petrov really wasn't the greatest husband, I think it's fair to say. He was a uh, he was a heavy drinker, even at that stage, and he was a bit of a womaniser also. His covert role with the embassy was to infiltrate Australian groups and try to recruit Soviet-friendly Australians to uh, add to the Soviet spy network. Evdokia was a master codebreaker, and her role was to monitor all the all the traffic going between Canberra and the MGB headquarters in uh, in Moscow, uh, and all of that communication was coded. Her role was to take and send messages to and from base in, uh, in in Moscow. So why did Petrov want to defect? Well, things were looking pretty good for the Petrovs in um, in Canberra until Stalin died in 1953. That started a, um, a bit of a clean-out in Moscow. That included a change of ambassador to Australia. And they were accused of being devotees of a, uh, an unfavoured faction of the Communist Party. So things were looking pretty crooked. They knew they were going to have to go back to Moscow in April 1954. And they were going back to a very uncertain future, which may have involved punishment or persecution of some sort. Now, in the course of his duties in Australia, um, getting around trying to recruit um, potential Soviet spies, he came into contact with Dr. Michael Bialoguski. Apologies for my pronunciation. He was a, a medical doctor, a violinist, and a music arranger, and he was also a part-time ASIO operative. So while Petrov was trying to work him over, Bialoguski was working him over. And he did it pretty well. Vladimir, by all accounts, wasn't a terribly good recruiter. And Bialoguski used to ply him with uh, with alcohol, which was a, a weak spot for him, and also with women, in, including prostitutes. And often, while he was passed out, Bialoguski would, would invite ASIO operatives into his flat in Sydney to go through Petrov's personal papers, uh, go through his briefcase, to uh, glean whatever they could. So ASIO worked out that he certainly had some, some reasonable connections with, uh, w- with Moscow. And in February 1954, knowing that uh, Petrov wasn't keen to go back to Moscow, ASIO approached him and suggested he defect. And it took a while for him to agree to do that. But on the 3rd of April 1954, he, he did. He defected to uh, to Australia, which was a, a huge coup for ASIO at the time. The only problem was he didn't bother to tell his wife. I wonder how he managed to keep this secret from his wife for all that time. Well, he, he kept his cards very close to his chest. He was a spy after all. But uh, poor old Evdokia had, uh, had no idea. So when he defected, when he disappeared, the Soviets grabbed her and grabbed his dog Jack and kept them under house arrest at the uh, Soviet embassy in Canberra. They, in fact, told Evdokia that Vladimir was dead. So she had no clear idea of what was going on at all. Meanwhile, Vladimir was in protective custody with, uh, with ASIO and beginning to spill the secrets of the Russian Empire. And then the Soviets made plans to fly her back home, didn't they? They did. They sent out a couple of um, very burly KGB agents. Now, Evdokia was a pretty slight woman. These two KGB agents who were famously photographed as they were dragging Evdokia across the, uh, across the tarmac at Sydney Airport to a waiting plane um, absolutely towered over her, and it was, a, it, was a, it was a dreadful look. At the same time, there were hundreds of anti-Soviet protesters who came to the airport to try and prevent Evdokia from being spirited away on the plane. The famous image of of Dokia being dragged between these two agents. She's lost a shoe in the commotion. She's she's in tears. Bear in mind, she thinks her husband's dead and she's going back to God knows what in Moscow. So she's absolutely terrified. But by all reports, she was just as terrified by the protesters as she was by the agents dragging her to the plane to, to that uncertain future we discussed. She went from Canberra to Sydney and then from Sydney to Darwin. The Prime Minister at the time, Robert Menzies, ordered the plane to be grounded at Darwin and uh, soldiers met the plane at Darwin Airport and asked Evdokia if she wanted to leave the plane 
And it took her a little while, but 15 minutes before the flight was due to take off for Moscow, she agreed to accept political asylum. So she, uh, she also defected. I think she spoke to her husband briefly on the phone during that time as well, didn't she? She did. She was, that, was the, that was the first time she became aware that her husband was alive. She spoke to him on the phone and at that point was convinced that uh, she should defect. It wasn't an easy decision for her because she had family back in, in Russia who, as it turns out, were persecuted by the, uh, by the Soviets, mistreated pretty badly for the actions of Vladimir, which, you know, as we know, Evdokia was not a party to until, uh, until that, that point in Darwin. So this whole kerfuffle became known as the Petrov Affair. Why was it such an internationally significant incident? Well, it was by far the biggest communist fish that, uh, that ASIO had been able to catch. And Vladimir, because of his connections to the Kremlin, was very much of interest to MI5 and to uh, the CIA. So he was, a, uh, in the intelligence community, a bit of a celebrity. So afterwards, I assume that Vladimir and Evdokia were taken away for interrogations. ASIO would have gathered intelligence from both of them. And I understand that Evdokia ended up being more valuable as an asset than her husband, that she actually knew more than he did because of her experience as a codebreaker. You've got to feel a bit sorry for Evdokia. Vladimir was, uh, was a colonel in what became the KGB. She was a captain, so she was outranked. But it became pretty clear to ASIO agents and others that were questioning them that Evdokia was more useful because of her, uh, her code-breaking ability. She was able to read Soviet code and provide a lot of information that otherwise security agencies wouldn't have had. And as a result of the information that both of them coughed up in those interrogations, which were conducted in a series of safe houses in Victoria and New South Wales, roughly 600 um, Soviet agents around the world were exposed. And then the couple were given new identities and they've ended up at a variety of ASIO safe houses, but eventually they've settled in Melbourne, in Bentley East. Yeah, yeah well, fast forward to 1956 and the, uh, the Petrovs were known then as Sven and uh, Maria Anna Allison, Anna for short in um, Mrs Petrov's case. They were given new identities, they became Australian citizens. They had written a book that was ghostwritten by an ASIO agent. They were paid a sum of money for their defection. They received some book royalties. And it, it was enough for them to, uh, to buy a house, a rather nondescript brick veneer house in East Bentley, in Parkmore Road in East Bentley. And the plan was that they were going to go there and, and live a quiet life. But what they didn't count on was, the, I, I guess, the psychological effect of knowing that the Soviets still wanted to get to them and the isolation that they encountered in Australia. So, yeah, things certainly weren't happy or, uh, or, or rosy for them living in East Bentley. And despite the fact that this was all very, very secret, everybody in the street knew that they were the Petrovs. And ASIO turning up in um, plain brown wrapper government cars constantly were a feature in the street quite a lot. So ASIO agents weren't actually living in the street, but they were they were visiting regularly. So they'd turn up in their cars, would they? Yes, yeah, they, they were constant visitors to the street to keep an eye on the Petrovs to make sure that they were that they were safe and that they were as happy as they possibly could be, I guess. But this was no secret to the neighbours. So despite the fact that there was a D notice preventing the media from identifying the Petrovs or where they lived, it was an open secret. They lived down there in um, in East Bentley, and it was certainly known to all their neighbours. And what did the neighbours think about? I mean, it must be a huge shock to discover that you've suddenly got Soviet spies living in the street. Well, it's, it's really, really interesting. I interviewed a couple who moved into the street in 1962 and moved right next door to the Petrovs. They were Jenny and Kerry Honey. And they moved in, saw these neighbours over there. And of course, everybody in the street came up and, and said, oh, you know, that's the, that's the Petrovs. You're living next to the Petrovs. They're spies. So yeah, there was there was absolutely no secret to the fact that they were that they were there, and they were there in pretty difficult circumstances. 
Vladimir, or Sven, became quite depressed. And he was already a pretty heavy drinker. He really hit the bottle. And there are there are stories that other neighbours told me about time another one of his dogs, Butch, got out um, into the street. And Butch was a pretty nasty dog by the sound of it. Vladimir was pretty full. He went out uh, looking for the dog. A neighbour was out the front of his house washing his car. And uh, yeah, Vladimir leant on the car and just slipped and face-planted in, um, in the driveway because he was too drunk to keep himself upright. And there are tales of him falling over the front fence. And um, there was another time where... Asia had to come in and clean up when he uh, when he put his car through a fence. There were a number of incidents like that, and it was it was quite well known. He was uh, he was quite morose. By contrast, Jenny Honey told me that uh, Evdokia was was really really tough. She was clearly smarter than Vladimir. That she was a she described her as a as a tough cookie, and said that there was absolutely no way you'd cross her. And what were their lives like? Did they have jobs? Did they have a social life? Did they go out? They did. Vladimir went back to a trade that he learned as a spy. He um, worked for a company called Ilford, developing film, which was a, a pretty handy skill for a spy to have. So he, he went off developing film. Evdokia went to work for a tractor company out in the southeast as a typist. And uh, and later, she worked for a firm that produced um, computer coding cards, the old-fashioned cars that you would shove into a slot to make um, you know old-fashioned computers of the 60s and 70s work. And she worked um, well into her 60s. Vladimir fell ill uh, in the end. He had a series of strokes in the uh, in the mid nineteen seventies, and he ended up in the old uh, Mount Royal Hospital at, uh, at Parkville and lived as an invalid. Despite everything that they'd been through, and Evdokia's uh, full knowledge of his extramarital ac- activities and the bitterness that uh, that must have that she must have felt about uh, how her family was treated in uh, in the Soviet Union after their defection, she apparently visited at least once a week and uh, tended to him. He died of pneumonia at the uh, Mount Royal Hospital in 1991. He was aged aged in his eighties, I think, eighty four when he died. It was a pretty tough, a pretty tough road for Evdokia. And according to the Honeys, the funeral for Vladimir included her, the Honeys, and a couple of ASIO agents. It was a, it was a pretty lonely, solitary life they led. Mm. Can you tell us about when their cover was blown in 1982? In the early eighties, um, I'm, I'm not sure who published first. It may have been the Truth newspaper revealed the location where the where the Petrovs had bought their house. The truth certainly photographed Vladimir at the Mount Royal Hospital in his invalid state, and it, it got pretty tricky. Um, there were hordes of uh, reporters and camera people in the street trying to get the scoop. There was one ABC journo who uh, left a bunch of flowers for, um, for, for Mrs Petrov at a lovely note um, in the hope that might elicit an interview. Of course, Dokia was not the least bit interested in that. And the ASIO agents, in trying to uh, hose the situation down, ended up cutting a slot for her through her back fence so she could get out and get her groceries and do what she, uh, do what she needed to do without the, uh, the prying eyes of the media at the front door. But bear in mind, Almost 30 years had passed, but uh, as far as they knew, um, as far as ASIO knew, they were still at risk of death if the, uh, if the Soviets caught up with them. So, mm. so it, was a, it was a pretty tricky situation for a while there. And what happened to Anna in the end? Anna worked until her, uh, well into her 60s. She'd been able to re-establish contact with her, uh, with her family in Russia through the Red Cross. That didn't happen until about 1960. And she regularly exchanged letters with her mother and her, uh, and her sister Tamara, her father had died in 1957, and she didn't learn of that until until 1960, sadly. But she remained in contact with uh, with her mother and then and then Tamara through the years. And as the Soviet Union crumbled in 1990, Tamara, in fact, emigrated to Australia and uh, came to live in the Parkmore Roadhouse uh, with Evdokia. Now, you visited the street recently and went to the house. Who did you find there? And, and tell us about the conversation you had. 
So Dokia and and Tamara were reunited in in Melbourne in 1990, and they they lived together in the house. Uh, Anna died in July 2002. She was uh, she was 87. But Tamara stayed on. And when I knocked on the door, I met Fiona Yee, who bought the house from Tamara 10 years ago. And did she have any idea of the history of the house? Not a clue. No, had no idea. But that she did recall the nice Russian lady named Tamara who sold her the property and, in fact, invited neighbours, including the honeys, in to um, toast the sale and, uh, and welcome Fiona and her family to the neighbourhood. And what did she think when you broke the news that this was the house that was at the centre of the Petrov affair? Oh, she was she was quite stunned. She said that she had absolutely no idea. And she remembered, funnily enough, that Tamara had told her that Melbourne wasn't cold enough, so she decided to go back to Russia. And in fact, that's what she did. She uh, she sold the house and moved back to Russia. I'm afraid I'm not sure what happened to Tamara. She was quite, quite a bit younger than Dokia, but she'd be uh, well and truly into her 80s by now, I think. So just to sum up, why do you find this such an interesting story, Jamie? Well, Melbournians of a certain age, or Australians of a certain age, certainly, would uh, would remember the Petrov affair and the enormous political implications it had. The Petrov affair led to a royal commission that led to suspicions of communists infiltrating the, the Labor Party uh, and ended up keeping Labor out of government until 1972. That had enormous political implications. For many Australians, it's a, it's a forgotten little side note in history. It's absolutely amazing that these people landed in Australia, were given new identities in a modern era where everybody knows everything. Their location was kept largely secret from the general public and they were expected to just live this quiet little life in Melbourne suburbia after all of the uh, all of the political intrigue and upheaval. Well, thank you very much for coming in to share the story. No trouble. Thank you for having me. And if listeners want to read more about the Petrovs, you'll find a link to Jamie Duncan's story and the incredible photos in the show notes to this podcast. Thanks for listening. This has been In Black and White, a podcast about some of Victoria's forgotten characters, written and hosted by me, Jen Kelly, and produced by Peter Fuller. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review it on whatever platform you're listening on. And if you want to support this podcast and be notified when each episode comes out, make sure you hit the subscribe button. I'm Felicity Harley and I host Healthy-ish, where we chat to experts, influencers and people in the know from around the globe to arm you with the knowledge to make healthier decisions for your mind, body and soul. I think if we're going to be focusing on health, like sleep is probably the biggest component of that. I I think sleep is the cornerstone. Like choose the harder option because I've never woken up and gone, I regret that run that I went at 4am. I've never done that. Search for Healthy-ish and Extra Healthy-ish wherever you get your podcasts.